Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. ES Audio. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Six Nations Special. Hello and welcome to the Evening Standard Rugby podcast. I'm Lawrence Delalio. Thanks for joining us as we take a look back at all the latest results from the Six Nations Championship. And here with me, as ever, from the Evening Standard, it's Steve Cording and, of course, Evening Standard's rugby correspondent, very overworked, very underpaid, Nick Purowal. Hello, Steve. Hello, Nick. Hi, guys. Hello, chaps. Obviously, we'll get on to uh, what you've been up to in the last few days, but I'm delighted to welcome our guest this week. He's played top-class rugby in his native New Zealand, including time with the Wellington Hurricanes, uh, North Harbour and the Blues since arriving in the Northern Hemisphere in 2009. He's also racked up 113 appearances for Newcastle, uh, 61 for Leinster, 156 for Wasps, and he's currently enjoying playing his rugby at Leicester Tigers. He is... I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, the oldest active player in the Premiership. And it is, of course, Jimmy Gopeth. Jimmy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Cheers for that uh, lovely intro there, Lawrence. It's uh, well, always well, nice to be told you're the, the oldest guy around. Look, mate, you're playing like you've only just started again. So uh, and, and an incredible rap sheet of all of your experiences and all of your achievements, uh, which we'll get on to uh, in a little bit. But uh, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to um, this weekend, Jimmy. You obviously watched the rugby. And then today, I'm assuming uh, you've been training hard or you've been uh, out on the golf course, which I know is your second passion. Uh, no, we had a day off today. So it was a beautiful day. So I got down to uh, Studleywood Golf Course and down to Oxfordshire and had a nice round in the sun. It's been brilliant. Is there anyone at Leicester that gets through training and is still able to play golf? I mean, presumably you're a very low handicap. So do you play with a lot of the other guys or do you just have a nice little crew that you get together with? Uh, in the summer, I played with a few of the, the Leicester boys. It's a little bit far away. So uh, I'm still living in Leamington Spa. So I've got my uh, crew that I play with here. Ashley Johnson, obviously, from uh, my WASP days and a couple of other boys. Uh, that I, see you, to... I see you pick your partners carefully so you can take the money, do you? Yeah, well, their handicaps are high, so they're always taking my money. So uh, okay. we've got a good crew so it's um it's good fun i love the competitiveness yeah great stuff and steve and nick steve i'll start with you uh anything up to anything exciting in the last couple of days well i actually managed uh two curries in three days which was uh some going night out with the boys on friday and then had a date night with my fair lady wife last night actually after going on a day out at twickenham as a paying customer so uh, that was an experience uh, certainly enjoyed it Excellent. And Nick, other than uh, obviously a work day on a Sunday for you, uh, you're not a Catholic boy anyway, are you really? So it's okay for you to work on a Sunday. What were you up to? Uh, anything exciting other than filing your report for Monday? 
Yeah, well, on Friday night, we went to a, a reception at the Italian embassy, actually, with the FIR, and they were sort of talking us through that they've got a new Exiles project. So that was really kind of them to host us. And so that was uh, nice to sort of relax a bit. You leave with red wine and truffles in your goodie bag, do you? I mean, it's normally quite lavish, these Italian affairs. We were well looked after, yeah. <laughs> Very kind of them to host us there. So, you know, an interesting project they're looking at because they're obviously trying to widen their player pool. And uh, and they were saying how they've had really good help from the Premiership Academy. So, yeah, it was good. Lawrence, how was your day with Castro? in the green room well, so I was uh, well obviously England Italy is always a special fixture for me personally given my roots and I captain England in the first ever Six Nations game in 2000 and yeah I got together with uh, Castro Giovanni player who I know very very well um, quite a character uh, you know an absolute TV star in, in, in Italy now because he's he's been on this uh, Italy's Got Talent but we shall get on to the rugby very shortly but first of all as we've got a, a wonderful guest Jimmy I don't want to embarrass you but I am going to embarrass you um, you've had the most incredible career so far you've won so many accolades as a player you've won player of the year I think the golden boot three or four times you know you've racked yourself up so many points that you are fourth in the table of all time premiership point scorers you've obviously enjoyed all your rugby but I want to start by taking you back to Wellington Academy at the age of 19. Uh, I think you were in the club with the likes of Jonah Lomu, uh, Christian Cullen, Tanu Munger in the team. I guess just give us an idea of what that felt like back then, having grown up, I think, on a farm. Suddenly you find yourself surrounded by all those. I mean, they weren't great players then, but they were destined to be great players and uh, must have been pretty cool times. Yeah, it was. Look, my last year of school. So, uh, geez, we're going back now, 2002 or 2001. So I was at a boarding school in New Plymouth Boys High and um, there's a few of us that were head prefects, so to speak, of the boarding hostel. So every year at the start of the year, we get all the, the young guys come in, third formers, which is year seven now. And they come in and we take them on a bit of a sort of a couple of day excursions before the school starts just to get them accustomed to each other. They've been away from home. We get to know them. And I'll never forget sitting in a van uh, listening to the New Zealand Sevens. The young kids are off swimming and we just had a swim and come in and we're just listening to the Sevens. And that was when Christian Cullen, Lomu, um, all these guys were playing in the Wellington Sevens and they were tearing it up. And the next year, as you say, I was down in Wellington and walking into the change room with them. And it was a pretty surreal moment going, you know, these guys were my idols. I always looked up to them. And... Now I'm sitting next to them and running around the training field was uh, was pretty cool. You didn't stay in New Zealand that long. I think you came to the UK when you were 26. So that's probably quite early in that sense. Was there some, Was there a catalyst for the reason why you decided maybe just to have a bit of a travel and, and come over here? Or was it a phone call or did you just get itchy feet and think, I need to get out of New Zealand? What, what, what was the score? Uh, some young uh, rugby player called Dan Carter. <laughs> <laughs> you never had him on the pod. Where did he go uh, from top class fly ass? You know, it was uh, obviously Dan was uh, number one, and uh, Luke McAllister was floating around. So Nick Evans had been doing a bit. They also liked Stephen Donald. So there was loads of us in that position. You know, I'd, I'd been lucky. I, well, I had like all back trial in two thousand and five. Um, so I was sort of there or thereabouts, but. You know, Dan was still young. He had just taken over from Andrew Mertens. So I sort of felt that that gap was, you know, unless there was going to be injuries, it was probably quite hard to force my way in there because those guys are pretty settled. Must have been a bit, in, I mean, listen, hindsight was a wonderful, you made absolutely made the right decision, but must have been a part of you that was a bit annoyed when you found Stephen Donald kicking the winning, the winning, the winning field goal in the World Cup and thinking... If I'd have hung around in New Zealand, Dan Carter got injured, they all got injured, I'd have been there and uh, kicking that goal. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Everyone gives me a bit of shit about that thing. But you, you never know. You never yeah. know what, what how you're playing. So 
But I, my my first thought was, look, I just had my daughter, Bailey. She was like eight months and we thought, had an opportunity to go over to Newcastle. I had Perpignan or Newcastle to pick from, but uh, I went to Newcastle. <laughs> tell you what, and, that, is, that is like, I mean, it's, it's minus 10 here, Jimmy, um, it's, uh, and it's plus 30 in Perpignan, but you, I know, you know, I know. I coming and, from Wellington, you had to pick Newcastle, didn't you? I know. Dan Carter had been to Perpignan, he was telling me, look, it was a brilliant place, but my wife's good mate, Tane Tupelodu's wife, uh, was there. Carl Heyman was there. Few other Kiwis were there, so I thought first time away from New Zealand, it's a perfect place to go. English speaking, just to get my bearings. But my first thought was just go for a couple of years, hopefully get a bit more experience, then come back and and give it another shot. But yeah, fourteen odd years later, I'm still here. <laughs> well, listen, you mentioned that we're delighted that you're still on this side of the world. We announced on our social channels that you were coming on the pod, and we actually had a barrage of questions from a lot of listeners. Uh, one was. Do you still have the same hunger? How do you still have the same hunger for the game as when you first started way back in the Wellington Academy? And that's from Marie on Twitter. And what has been the secret of your longevity? I mean, I retired at 35, but I got smashed to pieces, I guess. But I take my hat off to you that you're, you're playing at the age you are. And that was from Kenneth on uh, on Instagram. So just a couple of questions there, Jimmy. The hunger, it's, I don't know, it's just there. I'm I'm very passionate about the game. I'm still wanting to get better. And I think, these days, with there's so many young guys coming up and different coaches and different philosophies. And I really enjoy that learning of how the game's evolved from when I first started. And I think it just for me, I, I don't want to be a tackle bag. I still want to go out and try and be uh, you know a starter every single week. And I wake up every morning wanting to go to training to get better. And I don't know why I'm still, I'm just such a competitive person. And, you know, I don't want to go to a nine to five just yet. And I guess especially with you, you had that, that nasty ACL injury a couple of years ago and obviously missed a big chunk of the, about a year out. And it's a tough injury. I know myself having recovered, but you worked tirelessly to get yourself back fit again. Do you think that gave you a bit of reflection time and you thought, you know what, I've really still got something left in me to, to give back because I've had this year of working so hard in the gym and rehabbing it every day. It'd be a shame to go out without having another crack. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, that was my first major injury. Yeah. And to get that at, what have I been, 33, 34 maybe, when I got that injury, mm. uh, everyone was like, oh, he won't come back. And it just gave me huge motivation. To one, I'd never been in that situation before, so I didn't really know what a long-term injury was about. So I was sort of just taking it as it came. But then everyone saying, oh, he's probably done, just gave me the motivation to get back. And to be honest, it was the first time since maybe I was 19 years old that I'd had that long out of the game. So it really refreshed me and probably put a few more years on the back end of my career, to be honest. One of the questions that we've also had asked quite a bit, Jimmy, actually a couple of people put them forward, was whether you'd actually, once you do finish playing, would you consider going into some kind of coaching role or player coaching role with Wasps? It's obviously been a you know, a tumultuous season oh, for them never, so far. Never, but never mind, never mind Wasps. Leicester need a couple of coaches. I mean, <laughs> they've just had four that have gone out the door. So I reckon Jimmy's timing is perfect. I reckon he's, he's been planning this all along. You know, he's, he's gone straight into to a bit of a mentoring coaching role. I mean, Jimmy, you, you, you're probably already coaching at the moment. You certainly were when you were at Wasps, you know, in terms of mentoring the younger players and, and your voice on the pitch and off the pitch. I mean, it's kind of a natural progression, isn't it? Yeah, I I, I really enjoy that part. And I've always said, uh, you know, rugby is a, is a great game. And if I've developed all this knowledge throughout my career and I've played in different countries, different ways of playing, 
if I just all keep that to myself, it's too, it's very selfish of me. I think I've got the ability to let my knowledge rub off on the younger guys coming through. And if that's, you know, I'm helping younger guys that ultimately take my position. Firstly, I'll train harder to make sure they don't. But if they do, then, you know, it makes me happy as well. Because if I can help young guys, like, you know, when I was young and I had Tana and guys like Jason Spice, David Holwell, Ricky Flutie really helping me. It made me a better player. And if I can do that, then that's why the rugby community is so great for me. It's it's always giving back. No one's selfish and it's a it's a great community game. So Jimmy, obviously, like Lawrence alluded to, the, the guys who've already left for England and a couple more will be. Um, how do you see the changes shaping up at Leicester? And also how much impact do you think that coaching group will have with England when they all come back together? Yeah, look, um, firstly, obviously the coaching group. Uh, Steve's a brilliant coach. Yeah, he's probably one of the best coaches I've had, uh, even though I've only had a short period of time. His thought process, you know, is just so good. He's He doesn't leave any stone unturned, but he's very precise in why you're playing the game the way he wants you to play. So everyone knows exactly why and what to do. I think every single day you you walked into Leicester, you came out feeling you got better. And that's all you ask as a player. And I think the way that that whole group work together is going to be brilliant for England. And I think going forward, yes, it's going to take them time to get to the grips of the way that Steve wants. But I think that's the right group to let this England group go forward. Well, that's that's great to hear. And we'll get on to the match itself and the impact that Steve's had shortly. But Jimmy, you've scored, I think, just under 4,000 points in your playing career. Although you have scored a lot of tries, most of them have been off the kicking tee, which brings me on to that rather special story that I read about. You obviously have a tee that has your name on it now. Give us a little bit of an insight into that story and into how that came about. Yeah, it's a great story, to be honest. It was um, so in New Zealand, I'd always just kicked off the natural cone that you just use as training field, like straight up and down. Moved to Wellington and everyone knows Wellington's windy. It just blew off every two seconds. I had to have someone to hold in the ball. And then I looked to see who was what people were using. And David Holwell was using this tea. Andrew Mertens was using a certain tea. And all these greats were using this tea. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll give it a go. And it's called a Simpkin tea. And it's yellow. And everyone used them. In fact, it's one of the it's the first ever kicking tea made in the world. And it was just before COVID and I had a message on Facebook Messenger saying from this guy called George Simpkin. And I'd never met George Simpkin. I'd heard of his name because he obviously, he's coached Fiji, coached Waikato. He started rugby and and likes of like Singapore and places like this. And it said, hi, Jimmy, you don't know who I am, but I know you. Uh, I've been watching your kicking through your whole career. I'd love to have a chat, please, if you would, wouldn't mind. I think it will, uh, you'll enjoy what I want to say. I was a bit intrigued and so got in touch with him. And over a period of time, we had some brilliant conversations. He's got so many stories. And he pretty much said to me, bluntly, he was like, look, I've been diagnosed with terminal cancer. I haven't got long to live. I really love how you're still kicking with my kicking tea. I'd love to give you the rights to restart it because he'd stopped producing it in 2010. So I was a bit like blown away. I was like, really? Um, this is amazing because you know, obviously I was getting pretty short of kicking tees at that stage. They lived in an ice cream container, so no one would touch them um, and they would hold them one piece. They were, <laughs> I had strapping tape on them and whatnot. But he gave me a few um, bit of information on how things work. And then COVID hit and I couldn't really get it going. And unfortunately, he passed pretty quickly. 
But while COVID was on, I, I got it all together and got um, some designs done or some molds done and produced the Jimmy G kicking tee. I'm assuming that you have the rights now to sell those worldwide, do you? Um... Yes, yeah. Yeah, so I got a website and they're all for sale on there, jimmygtees.com. And I just made a limited edition. It's just something like could keep his legacy going as well with the tea. And it was a privilege for me to be given that right to, to produce them. Well, listen, we've got some uh, questions, some more questions for you later on, but um, we're just going to turn our attentions to last weekend's Six Nations games, round two, and uh, over to you, Steve. Yeah, let's start at Twickenham yesterday, where you, me, and uh, Nick were at the game. Lawrence, a good 31 14 win over Italy, I'd say, probably workmanlike, efficient unspectacular but the main thing was it was a win what did you think about the performance well look it's easy to leave Twickenham with a sense of disappointment and maybe a lot of people did but you've got to cherish wins in in any game of rugby in any form and I was delighted for Steve Borthwick because I'm really pleased for him and his coaching group that he got that first win um, albeit against uh, Italy I think that myself as an England fan and all other England fans have got to recalibrate their expectations, really, of England. You know, when you watch that game yesterday, sorry, on Saturday, between the two best sides in the world, you realise actually that England are a long, long way away from that. And I think as England fans, for whatever reason, we all seem to think that every performance, we're just going to hit the levels that, that we hit in the 2019 World Cup semi-final when we beat New Zealand. England's performances have deteriorated steadily from that day and they haven't really hit anywhere near those heights. And it's going to take a big job to bridge that gap. You know, rugby is a uh, is a funny game. You can win in the way that Ireland did and everyone says you're world beaters and they played magnificently and you can score for driving more tries and no one's particularly as excited about that, are they really? But uh, I was delighted by the win. I thought there was some steady improvements in the performance. There were lots of periods, particularly that second half where Italy won the second half, 14-12, where England just, I don't know, they made a few changes. And other than Alex Mitchell and Henry Arundel, I thought the changes that were made didn't necessarily need to be made. Um, but that's a coach's job. Jack Willis was a massive plus, you know, him coming back, playing the way he did, you know, and I thought there were some good performances all round. I don't want to be too critical, you know, I think if you're going to bring Marcus Smith off the bench, then why don't you take Owen Farrell off the pitch and, and allow Marcus Smith to play with Ollie Lawrence and uh, and Henry Slade? Otherwise, you're not comparing like with like, are you really? Um, so, I don't know. I think Steve's got a tough job, but he is very realistic. I know England have got a chance of winning the next World Cup, but I've lowered my expectations. I've seen the level that England are at now, and I realise that I've been looking at life through rose-tinted spectacles as an England fan and, and expecting them to be anywhere close to France or close to Ireland. That they're, they're a long way away from that. I don't think you were alone in that sentiment yesterday. There does seem to be still an expectation from those supporters who turn up that England will just turn it on at a whim when they want to. I mean, I think the one thing for me was I was quite disappointed by the Italians. They didn't really function in the way that they had the week before. But um, Nick, from your perspective, I mean, obviously Lawrence has mentioned uh, Jack Willis and Ori Lawrence. Were they the two standout performers for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Willis uh, specifically, I thought he was absolutely fantastic how he is still even considering putting his body in the firing line in the jackal position after the horrible injury he had a couple of years ago. It's sort of beyond me, but it's testament to clearly his regime and how hard he works on his body, the flexibility he's got to get over the ball so quickly. You know, he's the best player on the pitch, I think, comfortably. Lawrence was good. That's really encouraging. I still think it'd be interesting to see what happens when Dan Kelly is fit in the fullness of time because I'm pretty sure that Steve Borthwick would have wanted to, to give him a chance. But I think the first choice midfield at the moment is the one that started the game. And uh, let's see what happens next. 
ultimately, though, England kicked away so much ball in in this at least 22. I understand clearly that was a tactic to try and turn the defence. It didn't work. And uh, I don't know why they just don't keep the ball in hand and just go through the phases. Because I think if you really stress a team, we've seen in two games, they're very capable of generating quick ball, the kind of quick ball that England couldn't generate under Eddie Jones. And that's a massive, massive plus point for, for Steve Borthwick, isn't it? So keep the ball and stress the opposition. There's a mindset change, Nick. I mean, they've been like a bully child for the last couple of years. Do you know what I mean? It's like they've been been locked in a bedroom and not been allowed to speak or communicate, really. So, I mean, there's a classic moment in the game when Freddie Stewart caught the ball and England were 25-6 up. And, you know, if you're thinking differently and you're thinking with a winning mindset, you wouldn't kick that ball straight back to the Italian fullback. Henry Arundel had just come on the field. You know, Italy didn't chase particularly well. You'd have looked up and you'd have gone, let me give it to one of the most electric players in the world at the moment and let him have a crack. And... You know, that's what Ireland would have done. And that's what France would have done. But they're in a very different mindset. And England have been, I don't know, they've just not been allowed to express themselves. And I think it's going to take Steve a little bit of time. And I'm sure Jimmy will allude to this. You know, the most important parts of England's game, the ones that you can make significant progress straight away, scrum, line out, defence, restarts, all the basics of the game. That's where Steve will start. And then you start to add the layers of the England's attacking game on top of that. But yeah, you're right. They kicked a bit too much ball away in the Italian 22. And they probably left two or three, if not four tries out there on the field. But, you know, it's it takes time to uh, get players to be problem solvers. Jimmy, is that um, am I being a bit blunt and a bit brutal? Or is that a, a fairly OK assessment of, of life under, under Steve? He's got a, cha- a challenge ahead of him, you know? Yeah, he has. And I think you broke it down well as a... He's not going to come in and throw 20 different things at the lads. He's going to have the fundamentals, which he'll go after. And that's the way he he wants to start the group. Like when I came to, to Leicester Tigers, he'd been there for two years. And the third year, this year, he was layering on the next bit. So that was three years down the track of his plan. Now, obviously, World Cup and international, you don't have that luxury of time, but he will. He'll start at the basics and the fundamentals of, of the game. And you want the guys to, to run. You want the guys to hit hard and play a pretty basic game, but a winning game. And I think that's what he'll be trying to install in the lads. And then the caliber of players um, will be able to sort of take their game to the next level under them because they'll have such clarity in what they're doing. But at the moment, I think you can see they're just wanting to do the basics well. Um, and not trying to sort of overextend or show, you know, all that flair that what maybe Ireland and, and France do at the moment because it's about getting the basics right and getting comfortable about the way they got the processes that they're doing in their game plan. I genuinely think consistency of selection and consistency of message, if nothing else, will just settling them down a little bit and hopefully they can start to bridge the gap and they won't be bridging it in time for the World Cup, trust me. You know, the World Cup winner will come from France, Ireland, South Africa or New Zealand, guaranteed. But we're patient people and we'll wait to the next World Cup. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Six Nations Special. One big disappointment I had was that um, last night during the Super Bowl, Rihanna got 29 minutes to do the halftime show and, and DJ Haskell only got seven minutes. <laughs> Were we all impressed? I have to say some old school classics there from Mr. Haskell. My son was looking for his T-shirt and I told him that Haskell had nicked it and he was wearing it live on uh, on TV. But uh, he... <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember going in the autumn games and some of the music that was played then, I just didn't know what any of it was. So at least I've given him his fair due. He did well in, during the halftime break, I have to say um just looking back to saturday as well i mean you mentioned island france game i've just looked at the the numbers here the ball was actually in play for island france for 46 minutes the ball was actually only in play for 37 minutes during england italy which i just think highlights the difference in the quality that we saw but it was a an amazing game uh won 32 19 uh by the irish in dublin Four tries to one, ending France's 14 match unbeaten run. A little bit of controversy. We had a sighting today for uh, Antonio for the, the high tackle on Rob Herring and obviously James Lowe's try, which did later appear not to be a try because he did have a foot in touch. But I don't think that takes anything away from what was a very, very dominant display by Ireland, wasn't it, Lawrence? Yeah, well, but you know, for a start, it's, yeah, I thought it was superbly refereed by the best referee in the world, uh, Wayne Barnes. And, uh, you know, certain people are always going to take sides and moan about the fact that should have been a red. Well, if he'd have been sent off, would it have been the same quality of game? No, it wouldn't have been. It would have ruined the game. And some referees look to an incident and try and find a reason not to send someone off. And other referees, you know, try and find a reason to send someone off. I think the, uh, you know, the balance needs to be struck. The game needs to, you know, look after players. And, and there are certain tackles, reckless tackles that we need to, you know, to rule out and try and diminish. But what we don't want to do is ruin the game of rugby. And it's a physical game, you know, when you get on a horse and you ride, there's always a, a risk that the horse might fall on you and you might have a serious injury. You know, when you get in a boxing ring, you know, that's the, that's the sport you choose. And, and rugby has got an element of danger about it. And I think the balance of the discussion around tackling is ridiculous. You know, what, what I can say is that we, as broadcasters, speak to the referees once a month. Um, they go through their process of, of where they're arriving at decisions. We will review those decisions collectively and they will explain themselves as to how they got to that decision. And it was interesting because Wayne Barnes was was going, no, I think he hit him on the chest and the whiplash made it head. So I'm going to go with a yellow card. And you can see his assistant, Matthew Carley, you know, Matthew Carley, who was standing next to him, you feel probably would have given a red card. So there's always going to be that individual difference of opinion. But let's not take anything away from the fact that you had two very evenly matched sides, one that had France who were unbeaten, who'd beaten Ireland previously in the Six Nations. So maybe that home advantage that tiny bit of extra motivation seemed to be there in the Irish team. And I thought it was going to be a 10 or 12 point difference in the game because they're so fit, Ireland, in terms of their players. There's a real clarity of understanding. They've probably got the best 
understanding of their roles within the attacking structures than any other side. They resource the breakdowns brilliantly. I think physically they're, they're a very good side and every single player has developed and got better over the years. And you look at Caelan Doris, his improvement has been, you know, progressive, even, um, you know, Ringrose and Henshaw and these guys are getting better and better and better. So it may be a good thing for France that they've lost the game, got that monkey off their back prior to the World Cup because, you know, they've got a big game to, to open the tournament against New Zealand. So Ireland, look, they were the two best sides in the world. You know, it's one of those test matches you watch and after 20 minutes, the score was like, I don't know, 22-19. And you're thinking, wow, I just want this to carry on. It's just a brilliant game. But we must remember that the referee was a big factor in the reason why it was such a good game as opposed to why it wasn't. No, totally. Uh, but Nick, did we see a great uh, demonstration by Ireland of their strength in depth? Because I think we all said at the start of the yeah. Six Nations, of what are they going to do without Johnny Sexton? Well, oh. Sexton limped off and it, it just carried on as, as they were. Well, you know, and I think that Ross Byrne's been there and uh, I think some, I can't remember, it was one of the pundits was talking about, um, you know, Ross Byrne being Sexton's replacement who's been hiding in plain sight because guess what? He knows exactly how to do it. He plays exactly the same way. He's come through Lancer, you know, he knows what it's all about and, and sometimes it's about biding their time, isn't it? Perfectly capable and that's his moment to sort of come of age, if you like. Jimmy, it's a system that you, you were part of. You've been there. What, what would you pinpoint then as the reasons why the group of players, many of whom you played with, have, have really gone on and, and are achieving what they're achieving and a number one side in the world now? Well, for me, I can look at that Leinster, the whole Leinster setup right from the schoolboy competition. It's so fierce. Uh, there's some brilliant, brilliant players and, and schoolboy rugby is to the highest level like it is in New Zealand. And then those guys come through the academy. Like when I was at Leinster, the young academy guys were, these guys were Ringrose, Rossburn, guys like this that were just came from nowhere. And but the thing with Ireland's setup is they're all central contracted. So when I was at um, Leinster, I was a foreigner, so I literally played every single game. But like we would lose 22, 23 players to the Irish setup. So all these young kids were playing into provincial rugby from a very young age. And I suppose their development just enhanced so, so quickly. And before you knew it, the ring roses, the guys like this, Jack Conan's, they were right in the setup of, of the Ireland setup. And then the, the Irish boys come back, they play, they learn off them, and it's just like a massive conveyor belt that have gone through. And you can just see the way that Ireland play, especially in how, how ruthless they are inside the 22. Just look at what Leinster are doing, the domestic scene and European rugby. They are just ruthless in that area. And I think it just shows the correlation between how in sync the, the the union and the provinces are, it's all governed to get the best out of European rugby and the best out of Test match rugby. They're all on the same page. Now, the final uh, game on Saturday was uh, Scotland winning their second match uh, of the tournament. That's the first time since 1996 that they've actually managed to win the first two games. Wales got another hiding, unfortunately, for them. Finn Russell, absolutely outstanding. Jimmy, next season, obviously, got Finn Russell and Ollie Lawrence playing together for Bath. What a mouth-watering prospect that is. Yeah, look, I just hope that uh, the coaching set up down there just let them do what they want to do because Finn's a special player, isn't he? When he's got that freedom to sort of play what he sees, he he's phenomenal. I think the last thing we can do with him is sit down and play ten man rugby. Um, he he won't we won't be enjoying that whatsoever. So he's a brilliant player, and I think yeah, Bartha 
are getting a few players down there. And if they get together, they're going to be, um, you know, pretty formidable. I think what it also shows is that, um, I mean, look, we're going to enjoy the Six Nations for what it is. But that World Cup group of Ireland, Scotland and South Africa, you know, now Scotland appear to be hitting their peak in that World Cup cycle. Seems a bit strange that Gregor Townsend is allegedly moving on just at the time when Scotland are really, or maybe that's a maybe that's good timing. You decide to move on just as a team are hitting their peak. But uh, it's going to be fascinating because, you know, South Africa, Ireland and Scotland, all three of them can't come out of that World Cup group. And I would say that if you're South Africa or Ireland, you, the, the win against Scotland is not quite as straightforward, possibly, as it, uh, especially on neutral territory, as it looked before. But, you know, fantastic. I'm sure... Um, the Scots will now say, well, we've got to go to uh, to Paris and play against a, a French team that will be reeling. So I'm sure we'll find out a little bit more about the Scots, uh, certainly uh, after round three. Yeah, should we do uh, our player of the weekend then? Now we've uh, rounded up three games. Um, Lawrence, are you going to go for? Well, if you don't mind, I'll be a bit sentimental um, and pick the England player, Jack Willis, really, just in terms of the journey that he's had. And I don't know whether it was um, just coincidence, but to play to play against a bloke who put you out for nearly two years as well, you know, Sebastian Negri, who was on the field, who was, um, you know, a bit of a nuisance, actually. I mean, I'd have been quite tempted to, uh, to sort him out myself, really. But I thought just the way Jack handled himself for 52 minutes, you know, yes, he's a jackler, but I think there was so much more to his game, actually, at the weekend. He, he set up tries, he obviously scored by himself. I think he made 20 tackles in, in 52 minutes, which uh, was pretty impressive as England had most of the ball in the first half. And I just love a great journey, you know, and I think he deserves all the plaudits he gets and a little plead really to Steve Borthwick, go into that RFU office. You need to now start picking players that are playing in France, you know, all this nonsense that the, the landscape of rugby has changed. That was an, an, an introduction that was important at the time. But uh, I think now you need to reverse that and it's within your power to do that. And uh, I'd be picking because you're only going to see more England players going over to play and play their trade over in France. So Jack Willis to stay at Toulouse, please. And England to pick him from a French club. Nick, who are you going to go for? I think I'll pick uh, Finn Russell. I think, uh, Steve, you touched on the, uh, the Super Bowl. The way Patrick Mahomes rolls the ball out of his hand put me in mind of the way... Uh, Finn Russell when he rolls his hand over the top for his uh, you know overs pass there's a similarity in there and I think you know Mahomes can disguise make it look like it's going to be one of the bullet passes and just really throw it deftly and I think uh, in a different way but with a similarity I think Finn Russell's got the same kind of disguise on the pass and that I think that kind of ability is what what keeps fixes defenses keeps them guessing because you you don't know which one is going to come out of the hand and it's almost like a, a piece of uh, cricket bowling you know so it's that kind of disguise and you know, it's so hard to defend against because you don't know what it's going to be. And uh, yeah, long may that continue because it is, it's just awesome to watch. Yeah, just hope he doesn't start throwing the ball forward then because he might get in a bit of trouble if he starts <laughs> doing that. But uh, Jimmy, who caught your eye this weekend? Yeah, obviously uh, Russell, uh, Doris were pretty hot. I thought Ollie Chisholm is settling in pretty well in the engine room in, in England. I thought he had a good game, but on with Lawrence. It's just so good to see Jack Willis back and playing after his horrific injury. And I know personally how, how he dealt with that and how he sort of come back and seems to be really enjoying life and to lose and to come back and, and put an effort in like that for, was it 50 or 60 odd minutes was, was outstanding. He was hands down the best player on the pitch in that time. It was just brilliant for him and his family. And I think he's nailed that number seven spot down. And a special mention, too, um, for Jake Paledri as well, who on the flip mm. side has had mm -hmm. a horrific injury. I think I, I spoke to him a few times during his rehab and, it, you know, that was like he was in a wheelchair at one point. You know, no one thought he'd ever be back playing. He was on the bench for Italy and he comes off the bench and plays against England. So credit to him. I think he deserves a special mention. Or, or were you going to, did I take the words out of your mouth, Steve? Were you going to mention Jake Paledri? 
No, I was. Uh, I'm actually going to go Scottish again. I have to say, Matt Ferguson, I think, has been superb. I think, in terms of giving the Scots that bolster up front that they needed, um, made 45 tackles in the first two games. I just think he's been outstanding for me and uh, just part of that Scottish revivory. So, um, so yeah, he's been fantastic. Well, good stuff. And I'm, I think you're still smarting from the fact that you put all your money on a draw, Italy, to get a draw this weekend. But anyway. I, thought, I thought we'd managed to get through the whole show without anybody mentioning that. Yeah, it was, it was 50 to 1 and uh, at zero minutes, it was looking good. Well, listen, you can use your expertise to preview and predict uh, this week's uh, Premiership weekends because the Six Nations, of course, has a weekend off and we'll be back with the Premiership in full swing. Jimmy, you're obviously uh, playing uh, Saracens at uh, Matoli Woods, Welford Road on Sunday. So you've started your preparations with a, probably an under par round of golf. But uh, it's a big week ahead for you guys. I mean, obviously, massive change on the coaching front. Load of players missing. How do you, uh, you know, against the Saracens team that probably even without their best players, have looked very, very good. How do you go about your preparations for, for that game with, with everything that's going on at Tigers at the minute? Yeah, I think that the beauty about this group is there's a lot of good leaders in this group. And Wiggy's been awesome. He's really got us together. And we've had a couple of weeks of, of really nuttling down and looking at ourselves. And, you know, mid-season to get these opportunities with no game uh, like we had last week, and have a full training week and just concentrate about yourself and how you're going to get better was brilliant for us. And we're really looking forward to the weekend because, you know, this premiership, I think we've lost the, lost a few games in the last play of the game and we find ourselves, you know, down the table, but we're one win away from being back up there. So we know that this game is huge for us to where we want to be. And, you know, it's, this premiership's tight old season this year. Anyone can beat anyone. Yeah, so we've got four other games as well. So, uh, chaps, um, one-word answers in terms of who you think is going to win. Lawrence, I know it's difficult to work, use one word, but give it a try. So, Bristol uh, against Newcastle. Who's going to come out on top in that one? Draw. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. I think... Uh, yeah, that's go... why she's managed to mention it now. Yeah, I'll OK. Go, yeah. I'll go, with, go with Bristol. Nick? I'm on Newcastle. Uh, Gloucester Harlequins. Lawrence? Tough game to predict this one because I think, well, but I just feel Gloucester have had enough games without their best players because they've lost quite a lot of players to significant injuries. Carreras, I think, has really helped them uh, in steadying the ship. I, I, f I fancy Gloucester against Harlequins. Let's go with Gloucester. Yeah, I think the same. Yeah, Quinns really need a win, but I think a uh, very difficult place to go and win that, to be honest. Okay, Bath are taking on London Irish. Uh, what about that one, Nick? I'll go Irish. Yeah, and, and Northampton Sale, I don't know, it's so hard to predict these games at the minute. You'd like to think that Northampton would have a point to prove, but Sale, are, you know, in the Premiership particularly, seem to have saved some of their best rugby for the Prem. So uh, maybe uh, if they decide to stick it up their jumper and, uh, and get a bit tasty and, and a bit physical, I, I do feel that there's very few sides, maybe Saracens, Leicester, that can really take them on up front. So I, I reckon I'm going to go for an away win there. Great. Uh, so, Jimmy, best of luck to you on Sunday. Now, there's only one thing worse than uh, preparing for a game on the weekend and around the golf, and that's getting tackled by Lawrence Delalio, who is uh, about to do that to you now. Tackled. Your full name, please. James Anthony Gopherth. Oh, look at that. Beautiful name. Uh, your favourite takeaway? Pizza. Last movie you watched? Bullet Train on the Plane, Oz. Yeah, it was at Cape Town last week. So. It's a good movie, isn't it? Uh, what do you have for breakfast? Either either when you're playing or when you or, or like on a Sunday morning? Yeah, I do love the old eggs, avocado. Can't go wrong. 
Oh, that's that's, pro- that's proper healthy. <laughs> that's not about. I thought you were going to yeah. say black pudding. Uh, white pudding. Yeah, don't worry about it. There might be a few <laughs> sausages. <laughs> black pudding on the side. toast. Um, what's what's your nickname? Well, it's always just been Jimmy, but then uh, SpongeBob is another one. <laughs> um, just on my what, shoulders. <laughs> I know. <laughs> not because he's square pants. Yeah. <laughs> what is the best advice you've been given, either on or off the pitch? Just take every day as it comes, because we're very fortunate to do what we do. Who is the most famous person you have in your contact book? I've got Shane Lowry, but then obviously Tana and guys like that, I suppose. Pretty famous these days. Good stuff. And listen, if there was an actor out there who'd play you in a film about your life, who would that be? Who would you see playing you? Oh, jeez. We'll never clue. Uh... He'd obviously be an action hero or something like a Tom Cruise or something, someone, someone cool, cool. And he's probably our, our sort of uh, generation, Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> who is the um, who's the funniest uh, person that you know? Who was the funniest person that you've been hanging around with in the changing rooms, either now or previously? Uh, Mike McCarthy. Yeah, he's good boy, isn't he? Oh, he's gold, absolute gold. I don't even think he knows it either. So most of the time, he's just uh, a bit loopy. Um, are you a dog or a cat person? Uh, I'm a dog, but I have a cat. I see. That's your wife. You see, I know that. Yeah. Well, if you were singing a karaoke song, if the boys got you up on the front of the bus, what would you sing? Probably a Bob Marley song. That's, everyone likes to join in. You see, you're a crowd, yeah. you're, a, you're a crowd pleaser. Do you have a favourite TV show? No, I watch a watch a little bit. I'm watching. Uh, I just watched one on Netflix. Um, it's about the tennis called Point Break. I think. It's quite interesting. Good stuff. Um, and which superhero would you most like to be? Is there any way? Is it Superman? Is it is it uh, Mister Invisible like me? Uh, yeah, Mister Invisible, eh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think I am that guy most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> normally when I'm at, normally when I've had a few jars, but there we go. Uh, oh, look, when you were a kid, Batman was the man, wasn't he? Exactly. Um, and listen, my my two favorite questions: um, Who, in your opinion, is the best rugby player of all time, or who is the person that has really made you think I want to play this game? When I was young, it was probably Zinzan Brook. Average number eight. Clearly. Average, <laughs> average number eight. Just like the drop call. Have you I mean, got, he had the best. Have you got had that in your bag, Lawrence. Best name. He had the best name, mate. I mean, he. See, the thing is, he scored the winning drop goal in a big game, didn't he? World yeah. Cup semi final. I, I think that's why. Way away to Leeds, Leeds Carnegie. <laughs> I broke my rib and couldn't have to get off the field. What is your most memorable rugby moment? What What's the thing that you look back on? And you've had some serious moments in your career. The winning kick that you produced for Wasp to take Wasp to the European Cup semi-final, that's certainly Wasp's favourite moments, but you must have a pretty special moment yourself. Yeah, look, I've got, I've got loads. I'm very fortunate. But I think the one that really sticks in my mind is when I played my 100th game for Wasp and we took a bunch of young kids down to Saracens. We played a 12 o'clock kickoff. We went out and played a Saracens team who had British and Irish Lions. They were full stacked. And we had academy guys. We had guys playing their first game. Before the game, I gave out like seven debut jerseys. And we went down and turned them over. It was an amazing feeling and an amazing game. Yeah, well, listen, congratulations on that. Um, congratulations on your career, because it is incredible. And the fact that you're still going strong. And I've no doubt that you will be influencing the game of rugby, either on the pitch for the rest of this season or off the pitch in the future. Jimmy, we've loved having you as our guest. Uh, good luck for the rest of the season and really appreciate you coming on the pod. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. So that's all for this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast. Thanks again to our guest, Jimmy Goputh, and of course to Steve and Nick. We'll be back next week, although not until Thursday, as we're bringing you a special show with Bath and England centre, Jonathan Joseph, recorded live in the offices of QBE Business Insurance. So until then, thanks for listening and goodbye. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. 
Six Nations Special. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 